Congregation, we've come to Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism in the part about God the Father and our creation. Lord's Day 10, page 525 in the Book of Praise. And there we confess from God's Word the following. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a, with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord and boys and girls who belong to him, this afternoon I proclaim to you then that our lives are in God's hand. The Bible talks a lot about the hand of God. For instance, in the psalm we just read, Psalm 139, verse 5, uh, David writes there, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. And verses 9 and 10, for instance, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The right hand is the hand of strength that doesn't let go. So David, inspired by the Holy Spirit then, spoke very realistically about God's hand uh, being active in our lives. He formed us in the mother's womb, in our mother's womb. He wrote all our days in his book. We think, have to think of hands every time then too. God's hand also in those things. And see, congregation, the Almighty God who made the whole universe and everything in it and even above it, he continues to have his hand in all of it. As we confess Lord's Day 10, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures so that nothing comes to us by chance but by his fatherly hand. He has the whole world and each one of us here in his hand, as the song goes. That's what we confess here this afternoon. Of course, you realize that, uh, that speaking of God's hand is metaphorical because God is spirit, he doesn't have hands like we do. But to emphasize God's constant involvement with this world and within our lives, the spirit had David, for instance, write in Psalm 139 about God's hand, as if he does have a hand. That, that helps us to understand his activity. And that's how we come to confess God's hand in Lord's Day 10. However, if we really confess that God's fatherly hand, that almighty and gracious hand, is present in our lives and in the world we live in, in our personal lives too, and then, then it follows that we would 
and trust ourselves to that hand too, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be like, like that? The problem is, though, that's not always very easy for us to do. It takes a lot of faith to put our lives in God's hand. And congregation, we tend to look at what happens in this world as if it solely happens because of human or natural causes. As if it's natural causes that bring about all these things. And congregation, we need a lot of faith to believe that God's hand is what controls everything then. We need to become humble children who feel completely safe in the hands of an almighty and gracious Father in Christ. And that's not easy for us. That's also why it's good to listen to our confession of God's hand in Lord's Day 10 this afternoon. And hopefully through the sermon we'll see God's hand again. We'll actually see it again actively in our lives and we'll be able to entrust ourselves to it too. And I preach to you God's word as we confess it in this Lord's Day with this theme. Our lives are in God's hands. We see that this confession is incomprehensible, encouraging, and earnest. So first of all, it's incomprehensible. The confession of God's providence that he upholds, governs everything so that nothing at all happens by chance but comes about by his fatherly hand is a confession that can raise a lot of questions in our minds, right? Do leaf and blade, rain and drought, health and sickness, riches and poverty and so on, do they really come from God's hand? Because science has shown that a lot of these things have to do with the laws of nature. There's cause and effect in nature. And you can't transgress those laws of nature without running into a lot of problems. Take, for instance, the biblical story of the battle of Joshua and the Israelites against the Canaanites when Joshua commanded the sun to stand still until they had defeated their enemies. So it was an, a very extra long day. Today, we know that it's not the sun that moves as such, but it's the earth that moves around the sun. And even if we take that Joshua was speaking experientially, because we also talk about the sun rising in the morning and setting in the evening, it's hard to imagine that the earth could just stop revolving as it rotated around the sun. What would have happened with gravity? And what would, have, what, would have, what, what would that have done to the water in the oceans, the tides and so on? And sometimes, you know, in, in the Psalms, the thunder is identified with the voice of God. And God is the one who brings it about then. But today we know that thunder is caused by a release of a massive electrical charge in, up in the atmosphere. And rain and drought, we know today, they're caused by ocean currents and prevailing winds and solar flares and so on. Meteorologists aren't always accurate, but they can predict with a certain amount of accuracy that if these conditions exist, then this will be the weather in that area. Next week, even, or even next month, sometimes. And people, people also have an effect on things that happen. If there's a drought, they can pipe water from somewhere else for irrigation. 
and to raise the yield of those crops, you know, they, they can use all kinds of technology to increase that yield, fertilizers, and they have satellite pictures and genetic manipulation and so on and so forth. Do fruitful and barren years then really come by God's fatherly hand? Or are there other things that can cause that too? What about riches and poverty? Don't they depend on how hard people work and how they, much they use their brains and abilities, and manage their money, and, and doesn't risk-taking come into the picture here? And what about health and sickness? Do they really come to us by God's fatherly hand? Isn't, a, isn't it a matter of good diet and exercise and taking supplements and staying away from bad habits like smoking, and drinking and being a couch potato. As far as sicknesses are concerned, there's immunization and they're finding new cures for diseases all the time. And even with illnesses like cancer, which they haven't found a cure for yet, people live much longer nowadays because there is all so much health help available, discovered by science. And yes, with the Bible we say that Children are given by God, but we all know that people have a, quite a bit of control over fertility and bringing children into the world, right? There's birth control to prevent children from being conceived, and there are hormones which help couples to conceive, and there's also in vitro fertilization in which eggs are fertilized outside the body and then implanted in the womb to grow to maturity. And still, still, Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God's word says God's hand is in all of it. Nothing happens by itself, but it is all according to the will of God, so that not even a hair can fall from our head without God's will. In other words, he's the one who makes the earth rotate on its axis and revolve around the sun day by day. But... If he wills it, he can also make that world stand still without affecting the gravity of the oceans and so on as in Joshua's days. He can even make time go back. He's the one who ultimately controls the weather systems and decides where there will be rain and where there will be drought. Because in the Bible we're told that in response to Elijah's prayer, it didn't rain in Israel for three and a half years. And Elijah was a man like you and I. And he's the, ultimately the one who lets crops grow or causes them to fail. Even with irrigation and fertilizers and genetic manipulation, he is in control of that too. And Congregation, he's the one who gives health and sickness, who blesses medicines or keeps them from working. He's the one who ultimately lets life come about, even with all the reproductive manipulation that goes on nowadays. It says in the Bible that he opened Sarah's womb so that she was able to conceive Isaac in her old age. Congregation, he does it all. He does it all. No matter what people or nature, all the laws of nature, he is involved in all of it. Nothing happens without him unless he brings it about 
or lets it happen or prevents it from happening. That's what we confess from Scripture. Lord's Day 10. And maybe we can accept this, that even behind all the things man has discovered and also gotten involved in in nature, God's hand is invisibly present and at work. However, that can lead us to even deeper questions about it all. If God controls everything as by his hand, are we still responsible for what we do then? In Lord's Day 10, we confess that all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. But isn't God then responsible for what we do also when we sin? For instance, if someone gets drunk and drives down the street and hits a child at the crosswalk so that the child dies, was that God's will? Was his hand in that too? And if so, can that drunk person then plead innocence because he can't be held responsible for that because God brought it about? Take that, take that even farther back. If God is really in control of everything, could he not have stopped Adam and Eve from taking that fruit from the forbidden tree in paradise in the first place? And if we don't even have the free will to believe in God, but he has to give us faith, can an unbeliever be held responsible for his or her unbelief? And what about the people who have never had contact with the gospel? By God's providence, never had a Bible in their hands. You know, all nagging questions, right, congregation? Questions which have been raised by people and caused many, and maybe especially a lot of intellectuals too, a lot of doubts about God and Bible. And so can we really hold for true what the Bible says and what we confess from that in the confessions and also in Lord's Day 10 then? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, Sorry, I don't have the answers to it all either. Those hard questions. And then I can speculate, but I don't have hard and fast answers. And then I'm afraid we'll have to say with David in Psalm 139, verse 6, David says it so beautifully. Verse 6, he says, God's watching over him in all kinds of ways. And then he says, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That's, in fact, the kind of attitude God wants us to have toward his active involvement with this world. Humility and modesty. The almighty and everywhere present power of God is always a reality in creation and in our lives, but it's incomprehensible for us if we want to reason it all out, if we want all the questions answered. And time and again, God's word calls us to acknowledge that. It's incomprehensible. Isaiah 55 verse 9, for instance, the Lord says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts 
than your thoughts. He's way above us. Think of the book of Job. God gave that righteous man over to the power of the devil and one disaster followed another in his life. But those disasters could only take place with God's giving the devil permission as we know from that book of Job. And Job didn't know that. And Job never got an answer as to why all those things happened to him. Job's friends thought they had it all figured out. They figured Job must have committed some terrible sin that he was keeping secret or trying to. And now he was being punished for it. And Job pleaded his innocence, and he was so frustrated that he demanded of God to give account for the reasons of those disasters in his life, for those disasters in his life. But in the end, God spoke to Job out of a powerful storm and described himself to Job how he is eternal, almighty creator of all things, who does what pleases him, when it pleases him, and how it pleases him. Whereas Job and all of us are just wee tiny little specks of dust on a wee tiny little speck of dust in space. And then in the end, Job realized he could only humble himself and confess God's greatness and wisdom as far beyond what us little specks of dust can fathom. And congregation, we have to come with that kind of a humble attitude too. When we deal with trouble or have questions about what is God doing here or how does he do this and why does he do this? And that's also what it says in Article 13 of the Belgic Confession. So beautifully it's stated there. And I quote here, and as to his actions surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire further than our capacity allows us. But with the greatest humility and reverence, we adore the just judgments of God which are hidden from us, and we content ourselves that we are pupils of Christ who have only to learn those things which he teaches us in his word without transgressing these limits. Not curiously inquire farther than our capacity allows us. And we are of limited capacity compared to God. And you realize, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the Lord wants us to just have childlike faith in this regard. Childlike faith. And we shouldn't get upset that he is incomprehensible to us in many, many things that he does. In fact, doesn't that prove that he is God on high? Who would want a God you could figure out in every way? How would he be above us? How could we trust him? How could we entrust ourselves into his care, into the care of a God who is so predictable in everything understandable and congregation if he was understandable 
I'm afraid we'd all question everything he did and there'd be no end to it. We come to the second part of the sermon. The confession of God's hand in our lives is encouraging. In Psalm 139, congregation, David sings about God's constant presence in his life. His hand is there all the time. He sees that hand moving around in his own life. God knows him when he sits down, when he rises, knows his thoughts, knows what he's going to say before he even opens his mouth. No matter where he goes, high as the heavens or deep as the grave, God's hand is there. Sounds scary. You know, when you kind of think about it, it sounds scary if you read it like that, like God is spying on you. Like the FBI watching you your every move to see if he can catch you doing something wrong. So you could interpret that in a negative way. But that's not how David wrote it. It's totally positive here because the one who constantly watches you, whose hand is on every part of your life, is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who for the sake of his Son is your loving and faithful and merciful God and Father. His hand in your life and in this world is a fatherly hand. He knows us and watches over us like a father knows and watches over his beloved children. And as Father in Christ, he's involved with your life when you're at home or when you travel or when you work or when you're at school and when you end up in the hospital. He's there with his hand too as your faithful, loving father. No hair can fall from your head without his will. And if he knows it's for your benefit now or maybe later, his hand brings you a husband or a wife or withholds marriage from you because he has another plan for your life. He also takes a husband or wife to himself in his time when he determines it's the right time. And when the sun burns down on you and there's a thunderstorm or a snowstorm too, then you're not just given over to the elements of nature, but it all comes from the hand of your heavenly Father who works all things for the good of those who love him. If you pass your school year or if you don't, that doesn't take place outside of him either. Your work business, your worries about your family, your income, your heavenly Father knows all your anxieties. He knows what's rattling around in your head before you even think it. And he gives us everything he does for our good. For our good. Even if we don't see it at the time. Even if we're angry at him at the time. If we become sick or come to our deathbed even. That's his hand. It's our Father's hand which gives us those things to deal with. And he says, I want you to go through that now. But that hand holds on tight. Tight. That was his right hand. Strong hand. Holds on to us to carry us through it all. He gives medicine good effect so we get better. Or he, has it, he lets it have no effect because he wants us with him in eternal life. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God knows exactly 
what we all need. He understands our thoughts from afar. Sometimes we might become so tense or confused or depressed that we don't know where to go anymore and we can't even pray anymore. Also then, the hand of the Father in heaven holds on tight. Also then, it's a fatherly hand and he's working for our complete salvation. He wants that. Even when we fall into sin, his hand doesn't let go of us so that we fall away completely. So God's fatherly hand is a reality in the life of each and every one of his children. In the whole mess of life, in this broken world, there isn't a single one who escapes his attention. And that's what Psalm 139 is talking about. No one of his children escapes his attention. He brings on each one of his children what he knows is best for them. He decides what, where, and when, and how is best for us. He's busy with each one of us personally. That's how great he is. It's as if there's just you and God in the world. Nobody's lost in the whole mass of humanity. Nobody's forgotten because he's too busy with the, all the others. He has hedged us all behind and before and laid his hand on us. At the same time, he's with each of us here in Owen Sound. His father fatherly hand is with his children in Christ in all the outer corners of this world too. No matter how remote. In fact, Psalm 30, 139 says, his hand was on us before the world was even created. Try to fathom that before we were there. His hand was on you before you were even conceived. He himself let your life begin in the womb of your mother. And with great love and care, he wrought your body there and gave you birth. The way you look now, the way you are with your abilities and disabilities is from him. His hand was there and he formed you. And his hand is there when you take your last breath too. And your soul is taken by the angels up to heaven. His hand is in that too. As it says in verse 18, when we wake after our last struggle in this life, when we wake on the other side of the grave, we're still with him. Congregation, isn't that encouraging to know that? God's children can always know their lives to be in God's fatherly hand. Just to believe that. Rest in that. Oh, we don't always understand why he's working things out this way and not the other way in our lives. We have our questions. We have our anxieties. But we can always come back to the Lord himself that his ways are my, higher than our ways. His thoughts much higher than our thoughts. They're uncountable, says the psalmist, says David. More than grains of sand on Saba Beach. If you could count them. We don't have to know everything. We don't. We just have to know what the Lord wants from us and serve him the best way we can and leave the rest up to him. And if we can accept that, then those thoughts of God are precious to us. 
David says in this psalm, precious. And we, then we can rest in knowing that God in his great incomprehensible wisdom already wrote in his book all, that the, all the days that were ordained for each one of us. He wrote them all in the book. Everything that's happening, every day, he wrote it in his book. Before you were even born. And so nothing takes him by surprise. It can take us by surprise sometimes, but not him. He knows what's going to happen. And there are quite a few pages in that book which maybe aren't easy to, to read through or to live through, you could say. But the hand that wrote that book is a fatherly hand. Every word was written in love and mercy. Every word in that book. And that book has a beautiful ending too. If we can call it an ending. Because it concludes in eternal life with God himself. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon. The confession of God's hand in our life is not only incomprehensible and encouraging. Also earnest or serious. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, to confess God's constant presence in our lives is an, an earnest confession. Earnest. We see that near the end of Psalm 139. David mentions the wicked, God's adversaries. And David wasn't thinking of people out there who openly reject God. No, he was thinking of people who piously take the name of God on their lips, but in who reality hate him because he didn't work out things for them the way they wanted. They blasphemed him. They don't acknowledge or accept his hand in their lives. David was thinking of people who though they speak of God, they don't want to be dependent on him. They want to be masters of their own destiny. And he can't stand those people. Well, even those people who hate God can't get out of the grip of God's hand. Nobody can break God's hold on them either. But God's hand can and will give a person like that over to their wickedness more and more. In the first chapter of his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul speaks about that. God's hand can push arrogant people ever more in the direction of the wickedness they seek so that they don't even see him anymore. They refuse to humble themselves before him. They want to live without him. They blaspheme his name. Well, then God lets them go even further away from himself to, to where they want to go. He gives them over to it. And that means farther and farther they sink farther and farther into sin and lawlessness and ultimately darkness. He lets them go then. In fact, he gives, his, gives a person like that completely over to the devil and evil spirits. But those evil spirits and the devil himself can't move either without God's will. He made them, created them. 
And in the end, God's hand will drive that wicked person completely into hell forever, along with the devil and his host. And it's a terrible thing for the wicked and the hypocrites to end up in the hands of a holy God. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God's hand can be like that for us too. Because who are we and ourselves? If God left us over to ourselves, said, you find your own way, we'd be all included with those arrogant and the wicked that David is so upset about. We'd be included with them in their condemnation. We need to continually seek him and pray for his grace and Holy Spirit. And this is why David prays at the end of Psalm 139, that last verse, beautiful. He says to, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, by nature, we're all sinners. We all want to have control over our own lives and do our own things. We want to go in the completely wrong direction, away from God, instead of closer to Him. We're all completely dependent on Him here. His hand alone can draw us in and hold on to us and bring us into everlasting life with Jesus Christ. His hand alone. His hand can also let me stumble and fall and give me over to the wiles of the evil one. And that's why Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver me. And with that prayer, we give ourselves over into God's fatherly hand, you see? Into that loving hand of our Father in heaven. And then we express to God that we only feel safe with him in his strong fatherly hand. And that we hate arrogance and whatever could lead away from him because he's everything to us. How could people blaspheme him? And then we are just where he wants to have us as his children too, looking to him for everything. Amen.